0: Welcome to another Mike Flanders podcast. Today I am talking to a long-time friend and music veteran that's done some incredibly interesting things. He um, He's currently on the phone with me from New York. And uh, welcome, Frank Toro. <laughs>
1: How are you doing? This is Frank Toro all the way from New York City. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I uh, I was just talking to Frank and I said, hey, let's do this. And uh, he's willing to do it over the phone. And he's just gone through COVID and the riots and all the crazy stuff up there in New York. But um, I was telling him that the listeners that I'm kind of gathering are enjoying hearing more so about, you know, history and Frank's got some great history from you know metal labels to doing pop to doing hip hop to uh, so Frank I think to start with for these listeners mm-hmm. give them some of your history to start with. Uh,
1: well, um, hello to everybody out there. Uh, I think you know uh, to go back a little while. You know, I started technically I got my hands dirty in this in the music business in around 1987. Um, but, you know, before that, I was working on Wall Street and, um, you know, I kind of found that boring going to work in a suit and tie every day. So I gave that up <laughs> and uh, I went to school for engineering. And, uh, and at the same time, I was also, you know, dibbling, dabbling in producing on hip hop projects when hip-hop in New York in the late 80s was about to really explode, you know, this was like the era of Run-D.M.C. and the Beastie Boys, and it was an exciting time, and having grown up in the South Bronx, which is considered the birthplace of hip-hop, made it even more uh, adventurous. So, you know, excuse me. Um, So, you know, I basically... um, you know, uh, went to school and from there, you know, um, by the luck, I don't know if it was a lottery. Back then, you know, there was no such thing as really sending out emails and stuff like that. I sent my resume in the mail. So this ad, you know, for this label said, oh, a hip hop label, blah, blah, blah. You know, we need a jack of all trades. So I sent in my resume and I got a call from Tommy Boy Records, which, you know, was a small independent label in New York. Um, mm-hmm that at that time was very popular for having put out the iconic, uh, uh, record by, um, Africa Bombada. Um, and, uh, so, so, Planet Rock, which was an incredible record, but still, you know, is very influential in, in hip hop today. And when I went to the label, it was very small, and uh, they asked me, they wanted to use my skills in finance to help them, you know, work in the finance department. And, you know, from there, I, I progressed over the years. But when I started, there was a very small label, and it was making some good money. Uh, but then, you know, we got on a, on a roll where we signed some incredible artists from. Uh, De La Soul, Queen Latifah, House of Pain, Naughty by Nature, Coolio, a host of other projects. Uh, We did, you know, we was influential in being one of the first uh, labels to do music compilations. And when we did them, we partnered up with MTV, you know, they launched MTV Party to Go and ESPN Jock Jam series. And these things were all platinum records. I'm talking about most of the records that came out were gold and platinum, whether they were single or full-length albums. And the label established itself as one of the premier like labels of the 90s in terms of hip-hop. Even though we did put out a lot of dance records as well, so we just wasn't a hip-hop label, we did freestyle records, which at that time you know, was a big thing in New York and in Miami. And uh, the, the great thing about being there was that I worked with an incredible... It was like going to school. I worked with some of the best industry executives that I've ever worked with in my life. You know, from the top, from Tom Silverman, who's currently still the CEO, with Monica Lynch. Uh, I worked with Steve Knutson, who was the head of sales. Uh, Jim Palm, who's currently like the uh, uh, one of the top executives at Sony Music right now, and a host of other individuals who are still in the music business and hold. Some of the most powerful positions in the music business to date, really, and, and very influential. And these guys work projects like Bruno Mars and Cardi B, and just a host of uh, projects. So, you know, I was it was great there. You know, I learned this business, you know, from sales and distribution, marketing, and A and R. Uh, and I took a leap of faith from there. You know, I, I left Tommy Boy after almost ten years, and you know, I decided to. Um, try my thing over in the dance world. And I landed a job with a company called Global Underground, which at that time, EDM and trance music was a very big thing here in this country. And uh, and Global Underground was one of the top two dance labels in the world. So I became the head of uh, North American operations. And uh, over the two-year span, we delivered a host of big DJ albums here in the States. And... What was unique about these records was that every DJ chose the city that they were going to record the album in, so obviously that made it very unique. Oh, really? Um, the great—it was a great experience, um, and uh, and then from there, I landed another great opportunity. You know, having you know work with EMI Music and Caroline Distribution, and uh, and it was amazing there because I went into really. Uh, there was a fledging urban division They had a lot of these independent hip-hop labels that wasn't doing well. When I came in, I resurrected a lot of those labels. And, and again, that was built on my experience coming from Tommy Boy. And we had some incredible independent hip-hop labels. And But the experience there was broad because Caroline Distribution not only distributed great independent hip-hop records... They distributed great heavy metal records. They distributed stuff like the Chemical Brothers and and Moby and just a lot of amazing cutting-edge projects, Radiohead, you name it, they released it. And being part of a distribution company enabled me to really understand the process of marketing. And promoting all genres of music where I wasn't pigeonholed into just doing, you know, just hip hop music. And um, and I was there until EMI was sold. There was a time where EMI wasn't doing, you know, uh, well, and I decided to leave. And I went out, out on my own with one of the other guys from EMI. And we started a, a company called Play by Play, uh, which was a, a great consulting company. And where the minute I launched the company, all my clients included some of the top independent labels major labels independent distributors and you know we just kind of handpicked the projects that we wanted to consult on and and help you know and help those artists and those labels also attain some success and that was very successful as well and um and then from there you know uh, people started calling me to hey we want you to get back in the business and we're going to offer you distribution deals and i think it was right after that about that time that um after I, I left, the, you know, the company that I had started, uh, that I met Mike, and this was here in New York. Yeah. Uh, when I was working over at La Bella L- Alliance. Uh, yeah. With Commissioner Gordon Williams, who was a, uh, who continues to be one of the incredible, most incredible producers and engineers in the music industry. He's one. A host of Grammys for Mr. Lauren you know?
0: Hill, yeah.
1: Amy Whitehouse, Carlos Santana, and he continues to do some amazing projects. And we had a good run there where I was able to work with him and we did a lot of interesting projects. And not only that, it helped me build a, a, a even bigger relationships that I work with now. Um, and well, over the course of the last two years, I decided to take all that experience and jump back in the music business by doing some distribution deals with some of the big players and and currently uh i just launched a, a new company through ingrooves universal called wow. high table with my partner in boston and uh our first project that we have um is already you know surprisingly doing extremely well and we haven't even scratched the surface yet so i'm excited about that uh-huh. and also excited about some new signings that we we're about to announce as well and this is all multi-genres you know we're not just focusing on hip-hop but we're doing rock music and singer-songwriter music um i want to do some latin music and and just really touch on the whole specter of, of um of music but the interesting thing is that it's changed. I've seen the evolution of music from the late '80s to 2020, and it is a long time. And there are things that are still the same, but I, I find it more exciting because it's more creative. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I yeah. think in the '90s,
0: well, and more control too. Right now, yeah, you've got more control, exactly. personal control. Anyway, exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. It's more control, and you could you 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 can't. You're not scared now to really have a lot of idea, like ideas out there. Back then, the music industry put out records and there's no, there was really no sync and licensing and doing endorsement deals or yeah. artists partnering up with sneaker companies or major touring like you have now with Live Nation involved as a big machine. Um, and these were things that were, you know, non-existing, or if they did exist, they really didn't make income. Yeah. Now when you look at some of the big revenue, uh, the the big revenue makers in the music industry, streaming music is making about a billion dollars a month for the major labels independently, but sync and licensing and endorsement deals are making more money. Yeah. Because, you know, basically, you know, there's the the outside culture now wants a piece of the music industry. Yeah. And a lot of it has to do with social media and the artists, like you said, having control of their assets and really, you know, putting themselves in a position that if they show they have numbers on their own and they can put big records out, they really just need a bigger push from a major company to really get them out there to everybody and also have a bigger working team behind them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think you know we when when you and I first started, and you know my di- my diaries date back to the '80s as well. So we're both young fellas, and uh, but uh, the realism is that we had formulas to work with, and now the formulas are out the door. So as the formulas go, new formulas have arisen, and and they're changing from a digital point of view. On a day-to-day basis, aren't they? I mean, mm-hmm. new new platforms are, are coming out. You know, how long will Facebook be around? We don't mm-hmm. know. What's the next thing? You know, we you know we mm-hmm. saw Instagram. I love Instagram. and you, you mm-hmm. do. I saw all your photographs of Soho being being beaten up.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's amazing. It's, you know, the funny thing is, a lot of older people. You know, because I've been. I mean, I'm older. A lot of older people. You know, at first, people like, oh, you know, I'm not going to get on Instagram. I don't want to do social media. But um, all our peers who are our ages are doing it, you know, are, yeah. on Instagram and they're yeah. on Facebook, Instagram, they even have TikTok pages, they have, you know, you know, like they have all these other social media platforms. And it is a great thing if you know how to use it. I mean, yeah. obviously, there are formulas to use, you know, these social media platforms and you know, they're scary at the beginning, but if you know how to manage them, I think they work very well.
0: Oh, um, totally.
1: I think, yeah, I think that, you know, for the most part, you know, I think that, um, you know, um, I think that they always will evolve. There's always new platforms that are arising out there. Um, what's been amazing is to me, the most important, the biggest change in the music industry was seeing
0: physical retail just disappear. Uh, t- like, totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the, the dinosaurs in the music
1: industry used to say that digital stuff will never happen. I know. We're always going to have CDs, and we're going to have vinyl, and well, you know, all these stores are going to be around. But you know, the cost to do business in that world was very expensive, and the artists were getting killed with the with the recruitments and that. Exactly, they, exactly. When, an artist's did contracts back then, you would get hit back with the manufacturing, the warehousing.
0: Well, and what about when yeah. the CDs didn't sell and came yeah, back to didn't us, sell. Yeah. and then we'd exactly. pay the crushing costs? You know, yeah, the
1: crushing costs. You know, mm-hmm. of, of stuff You know, sometimes being destroyed or
0: warehoused yeah. and, you know,
1: just a lot of things. Where now it's
0: it's just you know, a file, and the file yeah, goes a up, file and, and you, you put know. it out,
1: and, and you create the marketing around it. And yep. the thing is now you could put out more records than back then you know in, in in the 90s everything was like a well-oiled machine you had a release date you market the record for three or four months before you put it out now with digital you could put you could drop a record on you know Spotify or any of these platforms very quick and that's that's the one thing that was amazing because what I really was eye-opening how these platforms like Apple Music when they came out with iTunes and Amazon was doing their thing at an early stage and here comes Spotify and it exploded you know with yeah. hundreds of millions of users and YouTube as well you know when YouTube oh, yeah, came totally. on the scene you know, it yeah. became a great platform for people to discover new music Yeah. but just discovering new content period you know it was, it yeah. was amazing so to see that and now to use that and talk to artists like I do now I talk to them more about their social media. I talk to them about, you know, the, the you know the digital service providers that are out there that put your music on and how diverse it is because I think when you talk to a lot of artists now, you know, they talk about, oh, I want my numbers to be big on Spotify and Apple. Yeah, but they don't, they
0: don't talk don't... to you about terrestrial radio, do oh, they? yeah, they
1: don't talk to you <laughs> about terrestrial radio. <laughs> and, that's, and, and, you know, what's interesting back then, digital radio was obsolete and i just recently did a first week campaign with this artist and we got over 2300 spins the first week on on a record at digital radio which is phenomenal without even scratching the surface and what that tells me is that there are markets that want this record and we're going to push on those markets where terrestrial radio no no that was just kind of uncharted territory you know and even satellite radio like you have like sirius xm and as we know, hip-hop is very big here in New York, and Sirius XM is like the number one station in New York for hip-hop music. Wow. Which is, you know, which is, says a lot. Yeah, sure you know, does. In terms of, 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 of listenership, you know, it's like one of the, if not the best. And, you know, so it's changed a lot. You got well, the I, We got the
0: same thing in country. I mean, yeah. um, these listeners know that I'm in Cowtown, Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a lot of the artists, you know, their little um, – you know, ladder to walk up, they want to get onto Sirius the highway, you know. So, yeah. you know, so they're the stations that they're talking about. But they, you know, the same thing is, you know, everybody now has realized that you can do minimal, cost effective marketing on the platforms and get traction. And with Google's help, and if you really dive into that, um, and work with those search engines, you, you can really propel yourself as an independent artist to at least a position of notoriety. I won't say, you and I both know it's it's hard to, to build it to a point of stardom, but if you get it to a certain point, someone told me recently, a label manager, if um, an artist has 15,000 subscribers on YouTube, the majors are seriously looking at that act.
1: Yeah, they, they, you know, it's it's uh, they're looking at it because they see the potential to build it if they add a lot of more services behind it. And I think it really, you know, and and they look at it very carefully because, you know, what they do is, um, you know, if you're doing if you have 15,000 subscribers and they are looking at that. You're an independent artist and you could do but so much they're looking at wow if, they, if yeah. you did 15,000 and these records are great you could probably do over 100,000 subscribers yeah. and they build yeah. on those numbers and it's a numbers game I think the analytics now are more important than ever yeah um um, and I think um, you know. For example, I was just talking to my partner today, and one of our, our labels that you know, whose artists we just put out uh, earlier this month or earlier last month, and um, we talked about how, at Spotify, for example, Spotify has a lot of great uh, advertising, you know, engines that you can use. And one of the engines is amazing, where you're really not spending a lot, a lot of money, but what they do guarantee is a hundred thousand listeners on one month and you you can retain 90% of that if you have a great record so if you have 90,000 listeners yeah, on your channel on Spotify you're putting out a lot of records what it really does it enhances your profile to a- end up on more playlists uh, potentially end up more on front featured, you know, advertising on the on the Spotify store. You know? Yep, yep. So it, it just presents a lot of different things and you can use those analytics as leverage to get thinking licensing deals and endorsement deals. Yeah, right. Because you know there's a lot more people, you know, as listeners listening to your music and stuff like that. So, you know, I think it's it's exciting because when I write a marketing plan down there for artists, you know, there's so many things that you write about because you're not just writing about press and radio and that. You're really diving into hey, we can do this at think and licensing or we can do this at endorsement deals or Yeah. You know, I I tell artists, Look, it's so crazy in the digital world that, you know, as you know, we grew up in an era where jukeboxes—you put in quarters and dollar yep, bills. I was. Now the jukeboxes are digital now. Yeah. And one of the artists asked me, well, "What can you do with that?" I said, "Very simple. You know, as part of having a distribution deal, these companies—you know, like the InGrooves and the Orchards and all these companies—distribute music to all the jukebox providers yeah. around the country. So you're figuring, how can I do a promotion? And if you have a smart marketing person. You know, these bars provide, you know, with your cell phones, a person can control the jukebox. Really? With your cell phone, yeah. So, so these touch the,
0: tunes, jukeboxes? Touch tunes, yeah, yeah, touch
1: tunes, and there's a couple of other ones. So you could potentially go into a lot of these stores or, let's just say, you know, bars and restaurants and create a promotion with the, with the fans there and say, hey, you know, if you play my record off this jukebox for this artist over a period of time in the in the bar... You know, we can give you free drinks or what have you. So you can create so many different experiences. Yeah, yeah.
0: Just like the old days with the DJ. You'd go in and give him the record and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Back then you would have to... At the clubs.
1: Yeah, you would Mm. have to have an open bar and spend thousands of dollars and get people drunk. Yeah. And now, you know, you could just go in and... You know, you could almost do the same thing again, but you don't really have to spend a lot of money because the music is already in, yep. in a jukebox and really it's just getting the fans, you know, all the people that are that are into jukeboxes and playing music off it to convince them to play the record as part of a promotion. Because they're the DJs, you know, yeah. these the, the fans there become the DJs in the bar. So, you know, I always tell artists, you know, there's no...
0: There's no one way anymore. There's so many ways to skin this cat. But there are certain things
1: that are still important. You you know, when you're building your profile, you know you want to get press done. That's always important. Whether it's a small block to a bigger block, you want to get some sort of radio done, whether it's terrestrial, digital radio, satellite radio, college radio. They're all very important because you build a listenership profile. You know, uh, obviously, if you're testing the market and and you're not sure about getting a distribution deal now these platforms now these platforms like like um these platforms like DistroKid and tune core and all these other platforms that offer distribution services for no fees they'll put up all your product up on these sites but now you are an artist and now you have to double back and you have to be the ceo as well
0: yeah of your and own record not, label yeah oh, right
1: and if and if you're not really savvy not knowing what's, what's yep. going on you know these tune cores and these. You know they'll have you pay for the little programs. You know for a hundred dollars, we'll do this, we'll do that. But there's no voice behind that. You know yeah. you just pay for it and you know and it and it does what it does. And then with radio, it's hard. You know if you don't have. But radio is, is still expensive, you know. Like if you're going, if you're on your own, and somebody comes to you and says, "Give me fifty thousand dollars, and I can make your record number one," mm. uh, that's really not going to happen nowadays. No. You know, that, <laughs> no. that nowadays that's not the, the game anymore. That no. you know, uh, playing a play or buying into some promotion programs really doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Nobody really does that anymore. So,
0: so um, it, ha-
1: it has changed a lot. You
0: know? From the indie world to the Frank Toro in the heavy hitter days, give the listeners a funny story or a cool story about you going to maybe promoting something that you never thought was going to blow up or. Uh,
1: Well, I have a, I have a great story. So, uh, when I was at Tommy boy, we had, um, I think a lot of people are familiar with the artist RuPaul. Yep. Uh, the transgender. So, um, um, it was amazing because we signed rupaul to rupaul's first deal and i remember I, we heard the record the first, the album was called supermodel it was an incredible dance record and made for new york because rupaul was from new york and it was you know new york is like the uh, uh, the gay capital you know of, of the world and uh, and then the club culture was big so i remember you know uh they showed me a picture i'm like wow like She's very tall. (laughs) And then we looked out the window. She was crossing the street to meet us at her old office. And it was like she was cowering. And um, so, you know, we talked and stuff like that. But then the funny story was that obviously because, you know, it was a guy dressed, you know, as, as a woman. One day I was in the gym working out and I hear a voice call out to me hey Frank how you doing and I'm like looking around I'm like who are you and go, I'm RuPaul. And of course you know it's a guy yeah. <laughs> working, working out and uh so it was it was uh it was incredible i think that you know that that was uh you know that was
0: uh, um uh, very unique uh, uh, for its time very, right
1: very 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 unique a very funny story but i mean i have you know there's so many stories i mean i've you know, promoted so many records, you know, um, over the years. And I've been to p- some incredible parties and party with a lot of people, with a lot of great people, executives, and you know, a lot of funny stories. And, commodity you know did you have
0: was, a relationship with tommy mottola at the time of his, nah, his you know, height? I
1: never, nah i never did i mean i think i you know we might have crossed paths at parties but never i know people that work for him and they always used to tell me these
0: stories yeah. and
1: i'm like wow that guy was a gangster yeah you know and, and, he, and he portrayed that you know and i think that those are great stories because you know the music business you know um the music business is a tough business, and you had a lot of characters who came off like that. Yeah. And I think that was important because um, it was, you know, the music business was not what you call your traditional nine to five. Nah. You know, you were going in the mornings, like, for example, at Tommy Boy, or even when I was at Caroline, you know. We would drink booze during the day. You know, sometimes you go drink a fifth of Jack Daniels in a conference room and smoke cigarettes during a meeting. Yeah. Sometimes people would smoke weed, you know. Yeah. And it was part of the culture. And in the music business, it was never an eight-hour job. So you could nah. work all day. Sometimes you go out and party with the guys, you know, go to a strip club or you would hang out in the office. Yeah, I mean it was just a lot of different things that made it a different culture where you wasn't obligated to come in at 9 and then leave at 5. You know, it was just consistently trying to trying to outdo, you know, it was a great competition in the 90s with all the great hip hop labels. Oh, so yeah. obviously you worked a lot harder and more longer hours to make sure that your label was number one but um, it was you know I met a lot of great characters you know recently uh, a big executive Andre Horrell passed away and he used to run Uptown Records I grew up with Andre Horrell in the Bronx in the same projects and um we used to play basketball. You know, we we, grew, we both grew up in Bronxdale projects in the Bronx, and we used to play basketball in the park. And unbeknownst to me, I wasn't interested in music. He was part of a rap group called Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, right? That has some big records in the in the early '80s. And uh, I remember, you know. Never really seen him that much. But then one day I ran into him on the train and I said, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you. He goes, oh, you know, I took a I'm doing an internship at a company called Rush Communications. And obviously that was the beginning of Def Jam and Russell Simmons oh, and all these really? great executives. Yeah. And so and I and I and when I saw him again, I saw him again at my first big party that I ever went to, which was the Warner Brothers uh, Christmas party at the old Roseland in New York and we ran into each other and he said to me hey how's this two, two kids from the Bronx making it to this type of party and I'm like yeah <laughs> you know so <laughs> it, it was you know it, it was great you know I grew up around a lot of, so you know, a lot of pe- people was that were executives
0: um, and stuff like that Def Jam was, was that originally started by Rick Rubin or not
1: yeah I, I think you know and I never really you know like I never really looked into it but I think but I think of um when I think of Def Jam, I think of Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons as, yeah. as the two leading guys that were behind that. And they both operated in different ways, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that Russell, coming from a hip-hop background and a promotionist background um, and an entrepreneur had a different dynamic than Rick Rubin.
0: Yeah, totally, yeah.
1: And they both worked off that, you know, and they still, to this day, Rick Rubin is an incredible, you know, a a very incredible, you know, person in the music business. So is Russell Simmons. Yeah,
0: yeah, without a doubt.
1: And then then people don't remember, Leo Cohen was part of that also. Oh, right. And, and, And Leo Cohen, you know, everybody's known him as a bad guy in the music business, but I don't think he is. I think, why, why people didn't like Leo, I think, is because he came out arrogant.
0: Yeah, and, and I, never, I never, found him they, to be that. You know, yeah. I never.
1: Those guys got like, stuff done. That's what they did. He, yeah, they didn't. And, and uh, you know, he's now working at YouTube now. He's running, I think, YouTube Music, and you know, and he's always going to maintain that same, you know, that that same demeanor. And you know, and I think he come. He has some great advice. You know, obviously, I've seen some of the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the. the the conventions that he speaks at or, you know, they do one-on-ones with him and, uh, you know, he's a game changer, you know. He he sees what's going on in this music business and I think a lot of people, you know, might have a perception that he's done some other things, you know, but a perception, i say, being, you know, like arrogant and stuff like that. But in this business you have a lot of different characters. Well, I mean, you
0: mentioned, you know, partying and getting up and doing these things during the day and in the office, but I mean – have if, if you ever read the book Howling at the Moon by Walter Yetnikoff? No, I haven't, no. Well, that's a, that's his, you know, story about him, you know, coming from mm-hmm. being an accountant, I think he was, wasn't he, that then ran Sony I, oh, Music, you yes, know? Yes, th-
1: yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah. you know, a lot of these guys, Clive Davis, you know, Clive Davis was a lawyer.
0: Yeah, that's right, Yeditnikov was the he, lawyer. He, yeah, he was a lawyer. Was
1: I think he was banned from the music industry because he was caught up in that scandal of payola. Yeah, right. And then he, and then he reinvented himself again. Actually, he reinvented himself from back in came back as a lawyer and eventually became a very powerful person in the music industry with Arista Records. And, uh, and you know, now, of course, he has a, a school named after him at NYU, the Clive Davis School of Music here at NYU, which is interesting because they have a lot of professors who are former music label executives or artists also. Right. So so I think it's, it's an exciting time, you know. I think um, when I look back at some of the people that I worked with at Tommy Boy when we were young, to see, you know, one of my, you know, Tommy Boy alumni run all the marketing, you know, for Warner Music, to see the other guy be a senior vice president of the hottest urban label, like Atlantic Records.
0: Wow. You yeah.
1: know, and, and these are people that we, you know, we all grew up together, you know, as one team at Tommy Boy. And, you know, we still admire each other. And, you know, we, we when we get a chance, we'll talk to each other through social media. And I admire what they're doing because I knew back then, that hey, these guys, they're on a mission. Yeah. And they haven't stopped. They still present themselves the same way. And they're just getting better and bigger at what they do. Um, And I think that's important. I think longevity in this business is... um Something that's important. Sometimes you got to reinvent yourself. You know, sometimes you don't want to be a nine to five person at a label. Not,
0: not, you reinvent
1: not. yourself with your own production company or your own label or, yep. or your own whatever you want to do. Um, so, and I think the current business model has allowed for more people in the music industry to take chances outside of the norm of having a nine to five job. Oh, totally. Really, totally. Really working from home, creating from home, yeah. traveling when you have to travel or if you're making money you take a vacation when you want to and you don't have to answer to an HR department. Yeah. Where's, where's my vacation pay? You know, yeah. just get up and you leave, you know. So, uh,
0: Well, COVID-19 has COVID definitely 19, uh, yeah. it made us realize that, um, you know, when we have to stay home, we can still yeah. operate. And I think oh, yeah. guys like you and I that have been working for ourselves for years, mm-hmm. I've been working out of the basement, I've been sharing mm-hmm. files with people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And... Um, You know, it it, it affected everybody. We can't say it didn't affect us one way, shape or form, but we, you know, we're all adapting. And I think we're also, it's given us time to realize that, you know, under that kind of pressure, we've still been able to survive and be extra creative. I mean, you know, I I ended up getting into different practice routines and more songwriting that I've done more writing probably over the last few months that I've done in a long time. And and the same thing, you know, we're still putting out singles and, and I'm still excited about seeing something hit a platform like I was in the old days, seeing a song hit radio, you know. So, um, but I agree. And I wanted to talk to you today... Oh, well, I've been wanting to talk to you for a few weeks, as you know, but I wanted to, because, you know, you come from a different kind of background than mine, and and I think these people that have been listening to these podcasts are really enjoying, you know, people that have diverse backgrounds that have been very successful operating, you know, under their own regime. And, you know, the, the conversations I've always had with you, um are very different than a guy that that has a similar background but in country music or a similar background and but you know i think the hip-hop and the rock thing um it doesn't really matter what genre of music now we've all got the same tools available to us and i wanted to just jump on your tails and say frank you know wh- you know from an independent artist point of view building from an indie to getting notoriety You know, this conversation has kind of, you know, definitely been positive for anyone listening, knowing that there's serious hope, you know, in the future again. And royalties are building. Facebook is going to be, I don't know when, but they're saying it's going to be monetized from a royalty. Do you know when that's going to happen? Have you heard about that? Um, I don't
1: know. I've been hearing a lot of amazing things. Obviously, that's one of them, the other one was which I think it's an amazing step um, there's been discussions amongst the labels to create a royalty system where the artists could just go in and get their royalties when they want to almost like you have an a debit card oh really and getting your royalties yeah on demand which it was great because it again that's still an agent system of getting your royalties every 60 days or so yeah 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 and artists yeah. nowadays, the collections on the streaming is very quick. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. So artists want to get that royalties right away. And there's been discussion because obviously the labels are making so much money that they could potentially afford to do something like that, create a system where the artist just goes in and they can transfer the existing monies right to their own bank account right away. And basically what that does, it creates a statement right away, a, royalty, a yep. real-time royalty statement. So I think, you know, it's, wow. there's a lot of things that are going on. I think, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. independent artists mm-hmm. out there, uh, I, if I had advice for independent artists out there who are starting out, I think the most important thing is to really, you, you got to look at yourself as a brand and a company. Yeah. And I always say that. Don't look at yourself. You are an artist, but, you know, build yourself as a company and a brand because you never know what opportunities are going to come your way. If your music is that dynamic and exciting and two, you know, I always say, you know, when you're building your profile, you know, make sure you have some of the more, you know, uh, um, social media platforms that people look at for music, especially Instagram and and um, and Facebook. You know, yeah. obviously some of these other growing platforms you can add on. If you're creating your music profile on Spotify, make sure that your profile is up to date. Yeah, because now artists have the opportunity to keep their profile up to date, and that's very important because if you have fans that are following you on Spotify, on Spotify, and you're doing shows you want to make sure you put that in your profile that you have shows upcoming in their market. So you're yeah. going to be touring the U.S. So there's just a lot of more things that Th- That, that you can do
0: from one click for yourself.
1: Right, exactly, that yeah. I've done for artists. You know, I tell artists to do, or I'll do it for the artists, you know. Um, but what's interesting is that I've developed a lot of relationships outside of the music industry with other third-party people, sneaker companies, fashion companies, automobile companies, just a lot of different brands that will always want to now partner with the music industry. And what you do is you work with them to create a special promotion. Yeah. And what I tell the artists is if you want to, if you want to do the dance in that world, you use brands yourself every day. You drink a certain type of beverage, a certain type of drink, you wear a certain type of sneaker. If you want to work with me, send me that first, send me a list of these things first.
0: Yeah. Because yeah. I'm
1: going to explore things like that, you know, because a lot of these brands are looking for those unique partnerships with artists that are new. Um, I'll I give you a perfect example. This past summer, uh, Adidas had a campaign here in New York, which is phenomenal. They were looking for an unsigned hip-hop artist in which, you know, they developed a new gear that the artist will wear at night to go to the studio to make records. But they also wanted to show the artist during the day at his regular job. And wow, he would transform for working at nine to five and putting on the gear and working at night, and it was an amazing campaign because the artists that were were taking for this were unsigned artists, and their faces and the and, and the billboards were all over New York City. Really? So for a, yeah, so for a new artist to be backed by a brand like that, Ooh. to do a promotion like that, you know, it could jumpstart your career. In, oh, a, totally. in a Very in a, yeah. in a very big way. And, you know, and then you have um, Converse, for example. As you know, Converse started a string of studios across the country. So they have, they call Converse Rubber Track Studios. And so now Converse got into into the game by putting these studios together where artists could go and record at their studios. And then what the artist does is they do a partnership or a relationship with converse rubber tracks that potentially your music appear in some sort of advertising for them so there are so many diverse i didn't even
0: i didn't even know about that
1: yeah there's so many diverse partnerships i was just talking to my business partner and we were laughing because i just read i i subscribed to this thing called license global and i got this text you know from somebody that i said oh by the way uh, adidas and mcdonald's are partnering for a sneaker and i'm like really (laughs) like adidas is going to partner with mcdonald's to do an exclusive sneaker and then when i read into it there were top nba players involved in it so now the nba players are endorsing a sneaker that's going to be a mcdonald's Splash Adidas Collaboration. Mm. Those are things that would never happen, you know, and it, and artists do the same thing too. So it's a very unique world, you know, because it's not just about putting out music through Spotify and Apple, but it's like if you have a favorite show that you like, you cannot reach out to a music supervisor and send them your new music. Or oh, yeah, yeah. they might they might come to you and say, hey, you know, can you can you develop a new song for us? Yeah. For this episode, you know, a series. So, and, um, and you know, the, the one of the platforms that I really got to lacking a lot was SoundCloud. You know, SoundCloud, uh, I remember going to a, a convention, uh, I think it was last year, called RapCon. I think it was called RapCon that was put together by the distribution company Symphonic, which is another up-and-coming distribution company based out of Tampa, but offices here in New York. One of my uh, friends from Carolina was like the GM and runs it. And um, it was interesting at the convention, uh, one of the speakers was Killer Mike, one half of the group runs the And the guy who runs the label also was there. Is, uh, some of the guys from SoundCloud. And it was amazing that SoundCloud is one of the, the main platforms where the major labels go look at to discover new talent. Okay. And they work with the majors, you know, to develop advertising opportunities for those new artists. And and what they get out of it is, you know, obviously, you know, SoundCloud is making money, but they're partnering with the majors and the majors cannot go there and work with them to develop any type of coexisting, uh, our, you know, advertising opportunities for new artists. And SoundCloud did a lot of stuff with Marvel Comics, you know, with Adidas, where they would look for new artists, and 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 these platforms for music. So it is very diverse, and I think yeah, yeah, I'm going to
0: need to to look more heavily into SoundCloud. I've not done that, and I've not really even pushed some of the artists that I've worked with to there. So.
1: Yeah, I think SoundCloud. Like I always tell people, you know, you should develop, Always have a SoundCloud profile. You know, even Reverb Nation. Like Reverb Nation yeah, is I'm, a great.
0: Yeah, I've got into the Reverb thing, but yeah. not the SoundCloud much. I think yeah, I yeah. I did a little bit with the film composing stuff. I may mm-hmm. have, but I need to kind of dig back mm-hmm. into that. Well, yeah, I, that. I won't hold you up any longer. It's uh, <clears> it's probably nearly eight o'clock in New York, right? Yeah, yes, it is. So I'm gonna say thank you very much to Frank Toro. Um, and have a have you got anything planned for the 4th of July uh-
1: not really I mean I think it, I know it's going to rain And you know Really the beaches Are going to be open But I'm not trying To be around crowds You nah. know But I'm definitely Going to go crack A couple of cold beers though. There's nah. no question About that
0: Is that going to be you A know? Guinness Or a beer uh,
1: I don't know yet I, You know I'm thinking It might be Guinness And I'm yeah. thinking It might be uh, I don't know Maybe some Jameson's whiskey I don't yeah, know nice. It could be or well, it
0: could be both You well, know You I, never know it could, it could
1: be both But I've
0: enjoyed uh, Sharing a Guinness With you Frank I've enjoyed yeah. yeah I
1: definitely Look forward. To, uh, hooking up with you you know as, I, as a matter of fact i was talking to my partner about maybe taking a trip down in nashville you know and uh, spending some time in nashville so do it do it so do it do great. it i go down there and spend some time with you down there we could definitely create some stuff down
0: there. i love there. it there's plenty of room at our place for you mm-hmm. mate there's, there's a spare definitely. bed here all right definitely. mate well okay. you have a good fourth and um <laughs> we'll talk again soon and i'll hang up on this one and uh okay. thanks so much for your time okay thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, mate. Cheers, buddy. Right. Bye. Bye.